So we've been on a bit of a journey over the last couple of weeks, and especially last week, we had New Life Conference. Now, if you missed New Life Conference, I'd love just to fill you in on, on what happened there. We gathered all three churches together just to worship together, to see God, but also to share the vision that we have for our churches as a family that's going on into the future. Now, our mission statement is New Life exists to see more people, more like Jesus, by planting and leading thriving local churches. Now, we didn't say successful or famous churches, but thriving churches. And what does that mean? It means that we'll be a church that gathers the lost, that glues people into Christian community, the place where we can grow as disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and a place where we then go out into our community, wherever we find influence, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, there is church decline. Over the last 30 years, the church has been declining in Australia. But we want to fight back against that. And so we believe that God is calling us to plant six new churches in the next five years. And that might be scary. It might scare some of you. But as a church planner, that actually excites me. Because I look out at this beautiful community, and this is the fruit of when we step out in faith and we plant churches. And so we just know that the fruit can happen in a society, in a, in a city or in a state where, where God can move through his Holy Spirit. But there's five things that we're going to focus on, five strategic plans that we're going to focus on to actually make this happen. The first one is personal formation. We believe it actually starts with us, us as individuals growing into the likeness of Christ. So we have things like Catalyst and other programs where we can be disciples as followers of Jesus. And if we are disciples, then disciples make disciples. And out of that, we will be a church multiplying church. That as we make disciples, we'll want to go out into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and plant churches. We also believe in social transformation, that wherever we find a new life church, we want to be a presence in the community where we can actually impact the community in a good way, in a blessed way, where they will come to know Jesus through our service to them. So there'll be a new life care expression at every church that we have. But also we want to be in digital innovation. We know how digital space can be with social media um, and how distracting it can be. We're not talking about that. We're talking about leveraging digital strategies to be able to reach people with the gospel. You know, there's a church in St. George that, that uses our live stream every week because they don't have a pastor, but they sit down and they watch our service online. We want to resource the rest of the church through digital innovation. And that's part of our last strategic plan, which is being a lighthouse church. That's where we resource the greater church across Australia. Everything that we do, we give away for free. But also we want to influence all levels of governance throughout the United Church that we might see revival, that we might see renewal in the United Church and we'd be planting churches and seeing that church decline, turn and go the other way. But for us as a church to do any of this, we need the working of the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon says, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships without a wind. We are useless. This is so true for us as a church. We are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit. So today I want to explore the person and the work of the Holy Spirit because without him, we're just another social club that meets without any real power. And where I want to take us today is John 14, where Jesus, he's talking to his disciples shortly before he actually goes to the cross and gives his life for the entire world. And he says to them, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
And all this I've spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not give to you as the world gives, but don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There is so much promise here from Jesus in this scripture of what he actually promises to send us and who the Holy Spirit is. So before we get into the message, would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. Lord, your word is truth. And Lord, I pray that you would just help me preach the gospel today, preach your message, preach your truth with grace and truth and love. Lord, that in the end, they wouldn't look to me, but they'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. So who believes that the Holy Spirit is a powerful force? Yeah, who believes that we can use the power of the Holy Spirit to do amazing things? Yeah, who wants some more of this powerful force in their life? No. It's actually wrong. Everything I said there is actually wrong. It's actually blasphemy. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not like a PowerPoint that we plug into and draw from to do amazing things for ourselves. The first thing we need to understand about the Holy Spirit is that he is a person. He's not a force. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. You see, there's these many misconceptions about the identity of the Holy Spirit. And some view the Holy Spirit as this, this mystical force, kind of like Star Wars, you know when we watch Star Wars and it's like the force be with you and they just got to harness the energy of the force and, and lift rocks and spaceships and all that sort of stuff? That's how some people see that, right? Christians think that the Holy Spirit is a, is a force like that, a force that we need to harness to do miraculous things like healings or prophecy or walk on water. Do you know they did research in America and it showed that 60% of Americans who regularly attend church say there's no such thing as the Holy Spirit? They think the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power or presence or his purity. Church, this is actually secular spirituality. And we need to understand that this process is actually wrong. We see this in the world. Everyone's talking about you know, getting energy. We meditate to get energy, to be able to fill ourselves and live the life we're called to do. We get crystals and we put them in our house and around us because it brings good energy. Or feng shui, you know, we set up our furniture properly. And if we set that up properly, we get all this free energy from the, from the universe. The Holy Spirit's not the Christian version of energy or power that we can access. The Holy Spirit is a person. And we see this fact, the most basic and important doctrine of God in the Christian faith, because we believe that God is one in essence, three in persons, right? We believe that God is Trinitarian or God is triune. Triune means three, in one. Tri is three. Un is one. This means that God is three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they all have the same essence. So the question is, what does the Bible say about the identity of the Holy Spirit? Simply put, the Bible declares that the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. And the fact that God is the Holy Spirit is God, it's actually clearly seen in many scriptures. I'll just take you to a few of them. In Acts 3, Acts, sorry, Acts 5, verse 3, 
we see Peter talking to Ananias. Now, Ananias said, I'm going to go and sell my property and I'm going to give all the money to the church for the furthering of the gospel. So he goes and sells his property, but then he only brings a portion of the money. And Peter actually finds this out and he confronts him and he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So here Peter confronts him and says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then the very next verse he says, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. It is clear he's making this declaration that lying to the Holy Spirit is lying directly to God. And same in Psalm 139, we see he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there also. The psalmist is saying, It doesn't matter where I go. You are present. You know what that means? It means that God is omnipresent. This is a characteristic of God. That means God is everywhere at all times. And the Holy Spirit carries this same characteristic. Then in 1 Corinthians, we see the characteristic of omniscience. Omniscience is the all-knowing nature of God. And the Holy Spirit carries this omniscience as well. In 1 Corinthians, he says, These are things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows the person's thought except the Spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He is making this declaration that the Holy Spirit is God and he has omniscience. He knows all things. So the Holy Spirit is the third person, the Trinity. And Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a person that can be actually known. He says in verse 17, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. I'm going to ask you the question, do you know the Holy Spirit? Think about your best friend. It might be your husband, it might be your wife, it might be your mate at uni, it could, could be Beryl down the street. Think about that person. You know them, right, personally. You know what their favourite coffee order is. You know what they like to watch on TV. You know their likes and their dislikes. You know their different kinds of mannerisms because you know them personally. You know when they're happy or sad or depressed or angry. You know what their morals are, what they think is right and wrong. And you know how they like to be treated. There's a personal connection there. What I want to ask you is, do you know the Holy Spirit as a person that can be known just like your friend? Do you know the Holy Spirit's favourite coffee order? That's a joke. You're meant to laugh. Holy Spirit doesn't drink coffee. Okay, but what I'm making the point is, we know all this about our friends, but we don't know what the Holy Spirit likes. Think about all those things. Does the Holy Spirit like what you watch? Does the Holy Spirit like what you do? Do you know how he feels about how you treat others? Because Jesus says to the disciples that he will send the Holy Spirit and they will know him. Not know about him, but actually know him personally. So do you believe you can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit just like you can a friend? Church, this question is vital to how we'll actually interact and live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't see the Holy Spirit as a person that you can know and have relationship with, then you'll actually just treat him as an impersonal force. R.A. Torrey says... If we think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal power or influence, then our thought will constantly be, how can I get hold of and use the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thought will constantly be, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of me and use me? 
You see, when we see him just as a force, it's something I can use. But when we see him in his true nature as a person, it's like, how can the Holy Spirit change who I am? And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, a being with a mind and emotions and a will. There are so many scriptures that reveal the Holy Spirit interacting as a person. And I can't go through them all today for sake of time, but there's moments where the Holy Spirit speaks. He speaks to Philip and goes, go over there. There's times where the Holy Spirit teaches or he leads. He makes decisions. In the book of Acts, it says, it was good to us in the Holy Spirit. And he can be grieved. Just like you can grieve your friends, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, I think we like the idea of the Holy Spirit as a force and not a person because then we can actually ignore it and just use it whenever we want it or whenever we feel like it. But the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person, he's a person to be known and to be loved and obeyed and someone to have genuine relationship with, if we know that, that actually changes everything. So the question is again, do you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? But here's the cool thing. Jesus promises that Christians will have the Holy Spirit living with them, but also in them. This is my next point. The Holy Spirit actually has a dwelling place. In verse 17 it says, But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will be with us and in us. This was a radical teaching to the disciples because in the Old Testament... The Holy Spirit came and rested on people for certain times and certain tasks. But the Holy Spirit did not indwell God's people. He didn't live inside of them. The Holy Spirit would, be, would sporadically turn up in the Old Testament on people and temporarily empower them to carry out God's plan. He rested on Moses. Moses spoke to God face to face. He rested on King Saul, the first king of Israel. He rested on the prophets to prophesy. He rested on King David when Samuel anointed him king. And so we see the Holy Spirit resting on people. But the Holy Spirit would come and go after God's work had either been accomplished or when people began to disobey the Lord. The Spirit would actually depart from them. We see this in King Saul. The Spirit came upon King Saul, but then he disobeyed God and the Spirit actually left him. Also with Samson. You all know the story, the kid's story about Samson with such great strength, but then the strength, the Spirit of the Lord left him and he had no strength. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit was not a permanent in individuals at that time. Rather, it just rested on people. Not only that, but also back in the Old Testament, God had an earthly temple. It's a place where his spirit dwelt among the people. We see from Moses on, he had the tabernacle. They built the tabernacle, and it says the Spirit of God would come. And Moses would speak with God. There was this place where the Spirit of God would rest, and they would interact with him. And then we come to the time of Solomon, and he builds him a temple. And see, when the first time he built the temple, the Spirit of God, the God's holiness and his presence came and dwelled in the temple, and they would each year go into the presence of God because he was contained in this temple. But this is not what happens in the New Testament. When Jesus died, the veil of the temple curtain it was torn, it was separate, because that's the curtain that actually separated the presence of God from people, and that was torn in two. Why was that torn in two at the at Jesus' crucifixion? Because God was ushering a new temple for his spirit to dwell. His spirit would now dwell in the body and the soul of every believer who claims Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is such an amazing fact that God does not now dwell in a temple made with hands, but he actually dwells in every single Christian. That awesome, all-holy, all-majestic, all-knowing, all-powerful God that created the heavens and the earth now lives in you. 
Man, that's like my car carrying a million nuclear bombs, right? There's so much power in just that little car. The holy, righteous God lives in you. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually addresses the church about this reality. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see, in the Corinthian church, they were engaging in sexual immorality and all this stuff. And he's like, do you not know that the, that the Holy Spirit actually dwells in you? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's trying to convict them. He's saying, that stuff you do behind closed doors, would you do that in front of your friends? Would you be doing that in front of people that you know? And we all sit there and go, no. And it's like, yeah, well, you had the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You're doing that with the presence of God in you. He's trying to instill this, this godly, holy fear of the Lord that we all should have. But we don't have that because we kind of don't believe he's with us. But then this makes me ask the question, how can the Holy Spirit of God be in every Christian? Right? This concept is hard for my brain to understand. How can he be in every Christian, but also in all the world, moving and acting in the plan of salvation all at the same time? Well, as we discovered before, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, which means he is in all places at all times. And there's this special infilling for Christians. God comes up and comes and sets his home up in you. And it's kind of like this illustration you'll see on the screen. We're like a bottle in the ocean. You see, the bottle's in the ocean, but the ocean's in the bottle. So every Christian is the bottle immersed in the ocean of grace with the lid open, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But as you see in the picture, there's some bottles with the lid on. There are people floating around in the ocean of grace that are not open, and they're closed to God, and therefore they're empty of His Spirit. You see, they're receiving the grace of God all around them, but they don't have the grace of God in them. And this is what we need to understand. The only way to life, eternal life, is to open up to the truth of the gospel, to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be born again. N.T. Wright says this lovely quote. He says, Those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. It just blows me away that God would actually set up his home in me. And this leads me on to another point of this message, and that is, what's the role or purpose of the Holy Spirit then? Have you ever started a new job and you actually have no idea what you're meant to do? You don't know your role description. You don't know what you're meant to do. It's terrible, right? Like you're in at work and you're like, what do I do now? Do we go to Smoko? Do we not go to Smoko? I don't know if I'm meant to do this or that. Everyone's leaving. Is it time to go? I don't know what's happening. It's horrible, right, when you don't have a job description. But how good is it when you do have a job description and you do know what your responsibilities are, what you're actually accountable for, what your KPIs are, what your expected outcomes are, what your expected performance is, when you're meant to go to lunch and when you're meant to leave in the afternoon. It's really good to have all those things, right? When you know what you're meant to do, it gives you direction, it gives you purpose, it gives you comfort and peace. Well, it's in the same way, it's really good for us to know what the Holy Spirit's role is in the plan of salvation in the world, but also his role within Christian lives. Because then we can actually live with purpose and direction and peace with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus tells us in John 16 the role of the Holy Spirit in the world. He says, Very truly I tell you, if you're good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes... 
He will prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You see, in this verse, we see the threefold ministry of the Spirit will perform in relation to the unsaved world. And the Holy Spirit targets these three areas in which the world needs conviction. It's around sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because each and every one of us have sinned. There's not a single person on the face of the earth that has not sinned. And here's the thing. The greatest sin that Jesus tells us here is unbelief, where we reject the truth of the gospel the sacrifice of Christ, and therefore that separates us from God. That's the greatest sin. And then he talks about righteousness. There's none of us can stand before God on the day of judgment and say, look at all the good stuff I've done. It totally outweighs the sin. Our good works don't outweigh the sin. It doesn't get rid of the sin. There's a problem there. None of us are righteous. But there is one that's been righteous, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that came and lived a perfect, sinless life in relationship with God and humanity. And it's only through him that we are clothed in his righteousness. And he convicts the world of a judgment. There is a day when we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And those who are clothed in Jesus' righteousness will enter into eternal life, and those that aren't, into eternal damnation. But not only is there a judgment day, the judgment day has already begun, as Jesus says here. And, and Satan has been judged because on the cross Jesus redeemed sinners back to God but he also utterly destroyed the work of Satan and we hear this in Hebrews 2 since the children have flesh and blood he's talking about us he Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil this is what Jesus came to do he came to break the power of death Jesus came because there was a problem of sin and unrighteousness and judgment to come. Instead instead of leaving us in that place, he came in human flesh, as it says here, to die as fully God, fully man on the cross to redeem us back into relationship with God, to deal with all of those things. And three days later, he rose from the dead, showing the whole world that Satan's rule has been overthrown. In his resurrection, Jesus destroys Satan, sin, and death for all humanity. But all who reject that sacrifice for them, they actually remain in their sin. They remain under judgment, and they'll be condemned along with Satan on the day of judgment when Jesus returns. He's coming back. And this is the warning that the Holy Spirit has been commissioned with to convict the hearts of the unsaved, to convict them about sin, Righteousness and judgment. That's the Holy Spirit's role to bring people to the truth of the gospel. But then he also has a role in the life of every Christian. And his role is to teach us, to guide us, and empower us. First is to teach. John 14, Jesus says, And this I have spoken while I was still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. You see, the Holy Spirit's role is to come and teach us, to open up the teaching of Jesus to us. He says that the disciples will remember all the things that that I taught you. He'll bring that to remembrance to you. And he'll actually teach you what that means. How many times in the Gospels do we see the disciples coming to Jesus after he did a teaching? They're like, what was all that? We don't totally understand what happened there. 
But what Jesus does here, he promises that he'll send the Holy Spirit, that they would understand his teachings, not only remember, but understand, but also understand the scriptures, understand the Old Testament where it all talks about Jesus. But there's this funny thing where he says, teach us all things. What's all things? We find that in 1 John. As for you, the anointing, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, you receive from him remains in you. And you don't need that anyone teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. You see, the Holy Spirit's job is, is to teach us, right? Is to lead us into the truth, to lead us into all truth. But what is all truth? Well, Jesus is all truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So his job is to teach us all things according to Jesus and who he is and what he has done. So then why then do we need to be taught all the time? Because we don't know the Holy Spirit. And we don't believe that all truth can be found in the Bible or in Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit teaches us truth, and that truth is just simply Jesus. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is he guides us. Romans 8.14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You see, we are meant to be led, guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is empowering us to, to walk in the ways of God, to love his word, to guide us away from sin, to bring conviction in our heart when we're sinning. The Holy Spirit's there to convict us, to guide us away from that, to guide us to love others and love God, that we might be sons and daughters of God, that we would actually walk in our created purpose. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He guides us in that. And lastly, the Holy Spirit empowers us. We all love the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? And in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about that. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, in everyone, is the same God at work. You see, the Holy Spirit empowers. He gives gifts to each and every Christian. He gives spiritual gifts. Some of those gifts are preaching and teaching and leading. Some of those gifts are healings or prophecy or, um, or being generous. That's one of the gifts, or having hospitality. God gifts each and every one of us with a spiritual gift, not for ourselves, not that we would use that power for our own advancement, but he gives that, that we would love and serve others, that we would build up the body of Christ, that we would go out in the community with a specific gift to serve and love the community, to bring them into relationship with God, that we would proclaim the kingdom of God is here in and through the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did. And so we know that the Holy Spirit's job is to teach, to guide, and empower you to become more like Christ, to love God and love others. Joe Packer says it this way, The Holy Spirit's main ministry is not to give us thrills, but to create in us a Christ-like character. And unfortunately, a lot of time, we just want the Holy Spirit to get that fuzzy feeling or get the chills when we're in worship. But his main role is to come and transform our hearts, that we would be more like Christ. Why? Because we can't do this on our own. I can't do it on my own. I can't live like Jesus without the work and the person of the Holy Spirit working in me and through me. So today, this has been a very simple message, but an infinitely important message. Because we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force. He's relational. The Holy Spirit actually has a dwelling place. It's in you and me. And lastly, the Holy Spirit has a job to do. 
That's to convict the world of sin, but also turn us into being more people, more like Jesus. Jonah, would you like to come? You know, writing this message this week really convicted me on my heart. Really convicted me that I actually need to know the Holy Spirit more. I need to cultivate a better relationship with the Holy Spirit. I need to spend more time with him, conversing with him and listening to him and obeying him and above all things start to treat him as he should be treated as the holy and righteous God, the third person of the Holy Trinity. Someone who's worthy of all my praise and my glory and my honor. Someone who's worthy of my submission and my obedience. You know, I should be blown away every day that God would dwell in me, holy God in me. If only I, if only we would grasp the reality of that church. Man, would that produce stuff in our lives? What would that produce in the lives around us? What would that produce in our church if we really believed what Jesus said? A.W. Tozer makes this quote, which makes me think, says, I remind you that there are churches so completely out of the hands of God that if the Holy Spirit withdrew from them, they wouldn't find out for many months. You know, we're good at doing church. We're good at acting like Christians. We're good at doing programs, and we can pull off a service on a Sunday. But we're wasting our time if we're not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can act like Christians. We can act like a church. But we desperately need the Holy Spirit working in us and through us that we would actually see people come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. That's what we want as a church. We want to see people saved by the blood of Christ, to come in relationship with Him, be filled with the Holy Spirit, to know Him. Lord, let this not be our story as individuals or churches where we don't know if we have the Holy Spirit or not. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I come before you and ask for forgiveness, Lord. I don't know the Holy Spirit as I should. And Lord, I know that there are people here in the same boat with me, God. Lord, we thank you that your word is true. The Holy Spirit, you do dwell in us. That your desire is for us to have relationship with us, to guide us, to teach us, to transform us. Oh, Lord God, do that. Do that in our hearts that we would be light in the darkness. Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way with us today. Convict us. So us where we're not walking in step with you. And you might be sitting there and you might have never received the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. You may not be filled with the Holy Spirit, but God's saying today, I have this available for you. You don't have to do anything. You don't earn salvation. It's a gift of God. We just need to open ourselves up, be convicted of our sin. And so if if that is you today, you can simply pray this prayer with me in your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. Forgive me. For I have sinned. But I thank you that Jesus died for me and that he rose again on the third day to get my victory 
that I be forgiven. And Father, I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I would be born again as a child of the living God. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and just fill them right now. Fill them with your presence, that they know that you are real and that you are with them forevermore. Amen.